You're listening to the Leadership Jam Session Podcast, the place where you'll get to hear leaders at all levels of management share their practical solutions to the management challenge you face every day. So let's get ready to jam. I'm your host, Rob Fonte. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Leadership Jam Session. Today's guest is Jeff Harris, who has a very broad and deep background in leadership that has provided him with a reputation of turning around failed organizations. Jeff has held executive leadership positions in a variety of different roles, where he has leveraged his global commercial experience in strategic planning, operational discipline, and change management. As you will hear, Jeff also has a true passion for developing future leaders. He is well-versed in several leadership concepts and is also an official member of Forbes Business Development Council and collaborates with their editorial team to share expert insights on Forbes.com. Jeff's reputation of turning around failed organizations was most recently tested when he was brought in as the interim CEO for a SaaS organization, an organization that was on the brink of shutting its doors before Jeff took over and turned it around. And what I think you'll find interesting is how Jeff's leadership skills were not only tested in his professional life, but in his personal life as well, which we'll talk about a little later in the show. Jeff, welcome to Leadership Jam Session. Thanks, Rob. Pleasure to be here. All right. Are you ready to jam? I am ready to jam. All right. So I do want to get into talking about your approach and some of the techniques you use to help turn this company around. But before we go there, maybe you can help share a little bit about why you were brought in. What what was kind of going on with this company where they needed you to come in and help turn it around? So I have an analogy. It's kind of like flying on an aircraft. So imagine you're strapped into uh, your seat on on a red-eye flight. And it's experiencing the worst turbulence possible, you know, and hours pass. And at some point, you're just like, is anybody even flying this plane? And you're like, all right, I got to get up and do something. So you race up to the cockpit, which this is fictional, obviously, but you break open the door and you, you see the situation is, is just kind of chaotic. The main co-pilot has ejected. Meanwhile, the captain is flying the aircraft blind because all the indicators are not functioning. They're broken. You look out the, the cockpit window and we're in the middle of the most frightening storms imaginable. And you ask how long the captain's been flying the plane only to learn that he's just out of flight school. So to make matters worse, the few remaining pilots have their hands tied behind their backs with their mouths taped shut. So you look down and you see a folder labeled flight plan. You pick it up only to realize that the folder is empty because there is no plan. And the storm outside is getting much worse and you see two indicators flashing red. And you're like, okay, awesome. Something is working here. But you, uh, you're quickly disheartened because you learn that one of the indicators is the fuel gauge, which is on empty. And the other light is the main engine, which needs to shut down for immediate uh, uh, maintenance. So you scan the cockpit for more clues, and it appears that all systems throughout the plane are not really operating efficiently or effectively. You look at the passengers and crew, and unfortunately, the crew lack the capabilities to handle the situation. And passengers are just pleading. Please land the plane so we can get off. Meanwhile, you have a lot of crew members who are strapping on parachutes and jumping out the door. They're, they're getting off the aircraft. And that's a situation that very few people would ever want to find themselves in. But now think about this. What if the plane represented a company and the turbulence really equated to a lack of alignment? The pilot, CEO, lacks any real-world experience leading an organization, and the co-pilots haven't been empowered to help lead at all. And the reason why is because the CEO slash captain chooses to micromanage, refuses to listen, and insists on having all the answers. The main co-pilot represents the COO who just basically has checked out the building and has just given up. So the flight plan is your strategy. In this case, there's not one. The cockpit cages represent the crucial data required to make informed business decisions. You have no idea where you are or where you're going, much less how you're going to get there. The fuel gauge represents the cash situation, which is on fumes 
and there's really no possibility um, of refueling in sight anytime soon. The crew lacks the capabilities to perform their job and turnover, as in crew members parachuting out of the air, aircraft, is super high. No systems or processes are aligned or operating as they should be, and the engine represents the product, which should probably be taken off the market for immediate maintenance, which will take months to resolve. The passengers are your customers, and they're ready to jump. Meanwhile, air traffic control, which represents your board, is radio silent, not providing any effective governance of the situation. And back on the ground, your sales and marketing engine are both dead in the water to acquire new passengers. What do you do to save this aircraft? So that was a situation that I walked into. There were steps that I took um, as I sat down in, um, as interim CEO to help turn this aircraft around. Yeah. I mean, that's a great analogy. I mean, yeah, it sounds like it, it was definitely trying to navigate through a crisis. And I think it's it's great for my listeners out there, particularly the ones that are either at second line leader or at VP level that are hopefully one day they'll going to advance into that C-suite role. I mean, where do you even begin? So I kind of look at it as when you're in this seat, in the seat of a CEO, it's kind of like the conductor, you know, conducting the orchestra. There's different sections, different instruments, and there's definitely in this particular situation, you're out of alignment. Not everybody's playing the same sheet of music. And so that's the first thing is you get everybody aligned playing the same sheet of music. We also got to determine what parts of the orchestra are actually working, playing in tune, and which ones aren't, which players might not be, you know, the best players for that particular role. So what I looked at is I just wanted to try to understand the situation from a broad perspective. And that was analyzing a lot of data. Data always tells a story and it really levels the playing field. It's hard to argue with a mathematical analysis of a cash flow situation. It's easy to put a play on words and say everything's fine and wonderful. But data data tells a different story. And so one of the first things I, I did a lot of surveys, I believe you have to diagnose and prescribe as a leader and you need to listen more than you speak. I conducted many surveys out of the gate. So before I sat down as interim CEO, I had actually come on to the company as interim CRO uh, for about six weeks. Um, and so I'd already done a bunch of assessments around Salesforce effectiveness, marketing effectiveness, sales and marketing alignment, uh, account segmentation, things of that nature, looking at the CRM, sales process, stuff like that. And, and I got to know quite a few of you know the key players within the organization. But I also looked at things like doing employee engagement surveys. And I'm just curious because I've, I did hear you say employee engagement, which I was really happy to hear you say because I know there's a lot of Listeners out there saying, yeah, I mean, this is what, you know, executives come in, they do. They just analyze all the data, make decisions. And yet, what about the the people side of it? Since the company I was leading was on the other side of the world in New Zealand, and I'm based in Colorado, this, I was doing this 100% remote. I would do all of my analysis in the mornings because the company wouldn't come online until my afternoon. And so my first couple of weeks was spent with just one-on-one meetings, interviewing Everybody that I possibly could in the organization, starting with my direct reports, every manager, and then going down deeper into the organization so I could get a view of looking back up. And I had specific, I had 20 questions that I asked everybody. Um, my goal was I would have Zoom meetings and to make it, you know, very informal chat at first, you know, just to get to know people, connect with them on a personal basis, let them know I'm here to listen. And some of the questions I would ask, just like very simple, tell me about your role and responsibilities. And then I check for alignment. I'd ask him, you know, what are your team's top two to three goals? How do you measure success? What KPIs are reported and when? Types of systems and procedures and policies are in place that I can review to get up to speed on on your area in the organization. Um, You know, what are the potential barriers and bottlenecks that that might get in your way? 
And then I, I go on and on, but some of the key things that I would ask would be, what are the things that you're hoping I change here at the company to make it better? And what are some of the things you're hoping I don't change? And what are the good things about the company or your team, your function, your role that we should probably build upon? Because my goal was to really learn because I think as a leader, we can make a mistake. If we, if we don't check our ego at the door, we can walk in and um, bring our little red wagon of tricks and just try to put band-aids on everything. And I wanted to do it a different way. It's, um, I, I believe you got to get people's fingerprints on the plan. And people want to be heard and want to feel listened. And you can pick up so much more about what's going on in the company by just being curious and asking questions and listening. And so, you know, more questions that I would ask is why isn't the company or your function maybe performing as best as it can? And of course, I'd ask about their career goals. What are their biggest frustrations about how the company might be led and managed right now? And, you know, what would you do to change it? And you start to see trends a lot of trends that come out of that. And you start to discover the culture very quickly. I'm curious, did you get any pushback from your direct report? So the the executives reporting into you, pushback in regards to why are you going and talking to my employees? Isn't that what I'm here for? Good question. I didn't, I always clarified that with whoever I was going to talk to. If it was downstream, uh, not somebody who reported direct to me. Because coming from the military, you know, there's a chain of command and I'm, I'm a former Marine. And so I respect that, especially in any organization. If I want to talk to somebody um, who doesn't report to me directly, I believe a leader, you need to go to the manager and say, hey, you know, I'd like to have a discussion with your teammates. And, you know, and I'm transparent. I'm like, these are the questions we're going to ask me, things I asked you. I'm just trying to learn, get a feel for this organization, this industry and where people are and how we can make it better. Because I believe the more more heads we put together in a room thinking about this stuff, we're going to come up with the best possible solution. So, yeah, I didn't get any pushback where and, and there was a lot of learned helplessness where people come to managers and voice their concerns, but nothing would ever happen. And so people just stopped. And what I found is in this particular case where staff were just starved for leadership, they were starved for direction, they were starved to be heard. There had been a lot of different consulting firms that had been through the organization, but I don't think they took the time probably to just listen. And, uh, and I think it's key. And, and as a leader, I think that it's a crucial skill set. It is exhausting to have these interviews and, and to take it all in and take all the notes, but you can learn so, so much about the individuals. And what I found is, um, is just by listening, you, you start to build trust because in this situation, the trust was broken throughout the, the company. And so you build a lot of trust and confidence in the team because the last question I always ask everybody is how can I best serve you in your role and just be quiet and listen. And, uh, and people really start to open up as they see, you know, you're not there to interrogate them and you're just there to listen and, and try to be, you know, you're here to help. Like I'm here to try to make this company better. And most importantly, I'm here to try to make you better in your career and how can I help take you there? Because that's our ultimate job sure. as a leader. Yeah. Totally agree. As you reflect back, do you think you would have missed something if you didn't go and do those interviews, those one-on-ones? Do you think you would have missed something? Definitely. I definitely would have. I would not have had a good of a pulse on the situation as far as kind of the toxicity that was within the company. There was a trend of toxic employees and bullying and things, which was actually pretty shocking to find out. But I wouldn't have found that out just by looking at surveys just by talking to individuals, because when you talk to people, it's usually not brought up. But then when you have a one-on-one and people feel like they're in an environment of trust that they can tell you, hey, this is the situation and it starts to become a trend. 
but also um, I wouldn't have learned some of the things that were impacting the product and how customers really viewed things or maybe empty promises that were made. I wouldn't have learned that from a survey. And so that qualitative feedback, uh, just uh, in having those one-on-one conversations was just, you know, it was, it was probably the best thing I did. And I'd done it at a company before as well. And so I knew it was worked. And, and you know, one of the things, uh, and, and Rob, you probably like this as well, is like when you're on site and you're working at a company, it's uh, never eat alone. And uh, it can be tiring, except for Fridays. I'm like, I'm, I need to have a break. Um, <laughs> but my goal is always, you know, it's like, I'm going to go to lunch or I'm going to have lunch. I'm going to sit with somebody and I'm going to have this informal coaching conversation. And they're not probably aware that I do have this, you know, these, these questions all in my head. And I'm going to um, kind of go through them because I want to learn everything I can about them and the company from their situation. But it's, it's really so helpful. You can, you can learn so much. And people who have been, you know, who are working at a company, they have ideas, they have dreams, they have visions, and they, you know, they're getting their hands dirty every day. They see what the problems are. And if you just ask them, instead of trying to be the expert, you know, nobody wants to be told what to do. But if you can start to bring that out of them on how we can make things better, and you probably already know it because you've been there and done it, but it, it means so much more to get their fingerprint on the plan and help bring them along with you. And what's the saying? It's uh, those who uh, plan the battle rarely battle the plan. And so even if the, you just have that conversation and, and you bring that up, you know, as you're discussing the plans and, you know, this was some of the feedback I got from you when you call out people, it's like, thank you so much. This is helpful. And, and I think it's, it's about checking your ego at the door. Don't try to be the person that knows everything. Yeah. I've seen it all too many times. And even in companies I've, I've worked for, I'm sure many of my listeners would agree that, you know, you see executives or, or certain CEOs, they kind of sit in their ivory tower and, and never come out and, and there's a complete disconnect to their reality versus the reality of what's going on in the trenches. Exactly. It's managing by walking around. Um, when you're managing remote, you're not walking around, but you have to be very intentional about using virtual software programs like Zoom, which is fantastic. And, and scheduling, you know, the one-on-ones, the team meetings and things and turn on your camera, you know, be a human being. It's not always going to be perfect. You're not always going to have, you know, uh, be dressed business casual. And I'm not. And I let my staff know it's like I'm a human being. You're going to catch me after a morning run or, you know, whatever after dinner with my family. And and uh, I'm going to be relaxed. I might be in a T-shirt and relaxed with you. My dog might jump in here or my kids might walk into the room. Guess what? And my kids have been in a lot of board meetings. Everybody at, at companies know who my, my dog because he jumps up in my lap and it's no big deal. You know, it is what it is. Now, it's important It's important to note for my listeners that while we are taping this episode during the COVID-19 pandemic, your story and when you were taking over this company and you were managing it remotely the entire time was last year. So this was well before the pandemic. And if we were recording this prior to that, many people would be sitting there thinking, okay, that's crazy. How can you run a company virtually? And yet, here we are in present day where most people are running their companies virtually right now. So it's just interesting. Uh, you were already well experienced in doing this well before the pandemic hit. And, and there was no playbook for this. I mean, this was new for me, but I have been fortunate to work remote and, and lead teams and drive change. But I typically would also travel to a company like every other week, as, as you know most of us do. Uh, but in this particular case, due to a health issue and being on the other side of the world, I didn't have the option to go there. And I actually um, talked to the board about it. I said, and initially when they asked me, hey, can you come on board and do this? I said, can't you find somebody there locally, you know, who could be there? 
and uh, said, we really want you to do this. And so I lived on Zoom. I made a lot of sacrifices here in my family, but I also got into a routine. And when you're working with a company that's on the other side of the world, and we had offices in four different countries, five different countries, uh, staff around the world, customers and stuff like that, you just have to lean in uh, and make it happen. And so my mornings would be before that my, my team came on board, which most of them were located in New Zealand. I would spend time to catch up with clients in Europe and Africa and and, uh, and around the world, uh, distributors and resellers. And I would work on projects here that um, that I was doing or data analysis. And then I would have my meetings set in stone with one-on-ones. I had a, a morning briefing with my CFO. And for those of you uh, in the executive suite, your CFO, it needs to be your right hand, especially in a turnaround situation. You're going to be looking at numbers every single day. We had our, our daily alignment meetings every morning uh, without fail. And even on for Monday mornings in New Zealand, it's Sunday afternoon in Colorado. And so my weeks always started on Sundays, but it was rarely any time off because it's turning around a company is not a nine to five job. You're literally doing CPR. And so it's, you, you have to do whatever it takes. And as I told the executive team, uh, when I walked in and, and kind of assessed the situation, I'm like, look, every team, every organization is a result of directly where it's been led. And I go, and the only way to get out of the situation is, is we have to lead this company out of the situation. And, um, and we're going to have to be decisive and make speedy decisions and stick to our guns. We're going to have to focus the team, get everybody aligned, things like that. One of the things I found that really worked from leading um, remote, and this works when you're in person as well, is just maintaining a disciplined cadence of accountability. And that's setting up your one-on-one meetings, having your daily meetings with your executive team reviewing the right numbers. And what I did is on Monday mornings, which was my Sunday morning here, I typically would have breakfast delivered to the team uh, because I was on the other side of the world. I'd have a note from the CEO. I would write something over the weekend just to just something inspiring and something about maybe business or strategy or whatever it was just to start raising the business acumen of the team. I would write about customer service and what I believe, like how we should service our customers. I would write about um, I would share all the data that I had, like on account segmentation, cost reductions, everything that I could, and I would educate them. And so they could expect that on Monday mornings. But I'd also share personal things, like I'd have pictures of like what I did here in Colorado over the weekend or share like, yeah, you know, we 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 went hiking and did this and that and share pictures of like where we are just to make it more human because I'm over here. So we never met in person yet. Uh, the other thing I did is on on Fridays, I would have a weekly town hall meeting. And that was all hands and it was via Zoom and I had a structured PowerPoint and everybody had to have their camera on. And I would take the, comp- the, the company through uh, the progress for the week. I would take them through all the financials. I take them through success and product development or maybe it's onboarding. I would go through the new logos that we signed, things like that. I take them through churn, even the, the good and the bad. Celebrate success for team members who really stood up and took things to the next level. And at first, it was just all quiet because folks weren't used to this. And But I believe in transparency. I believe if your fish tank is dirty, it, you can't equate that with a company. It's like people are not being transparent. And so I want to keep my fish tank clean. I want to be as transparent as possible. There's no secrets. And I'll be as transparent as I can, even when I can't be transparent. It's like, yeah, unfortunately, I can't you know, go there. They were shocked. And then immediately, though, I called a few of my reports. and like, what's kind of the buzz in the office? And they're like, People are shocked. They feel like they're being treated like a human being, like you trust them. Like, I do trust them. We're all in this together. It's a team effort. 
And within a few weeks of doing those weekly town halls, the engagement level was was fantastic. There would be lots of questions and comments during those meetings. It, it was a big success to keep us aligned and, and focused. And I'm sure that you probably had to make a lot of decisions that either weren't popular, were foreign to the culture at that time. Yeah. How, how did you navigate through that? In a situation like this, you really have to be a commander. You have to have the courage to make the hard decisions. Leadership is not all sunshine and rainbows. It's not. And if you're not uncomfortable, you're probably not leading. You have to have the courage to tell the hard truths and you're going to make the unpopular decisions, but you got to make them in the best interest of the organization and the shareholders. And, um, and I had to make a lot of those decisions. And unfortunately, with this company, it grew a little too fast. The cost structure was way out of control. And so we did have to do a, a massive restructuring, reduction of force, shut down multiple offices. And those are hard, hard decisions to make. And it can be soul-crushing work because you're dealing with human beings and their lives and you're disrupting you know, their, their financial stability. That is very hard. And, and I think one of the things that, that got me through that part was you still got to lead yourself. You got to hold on to your character and your values. As I said, it can be soul crushing. I'm sure you've been there, Rob. It's, it's not fun and it's nobody's fault. It, um, unfortunately, it, was, it is what it is and it has to be done to save an organization sometimes. But what I, I, I really leaned into um, personal training, spent a lot of time on my bike and running and doing CrossFit and working at home too. It's one of the things you can always do is go for a walk. And I would do that every day. It's a time to think. Sometimes I would take a call, talk to a customer, talk to a, a, an employee or something, just have a one-on-one. Uh, but a lot, most of the time I would just, you know, walk, listen to music, think, think about the problems, think about the business. And that's where I would come up with a lot of my solutions because my mantra is motion changes emotion. If you sit here all day and, you know, you worry about all the things you can't control, like, oh my gosh, I got to make this decision, whatever. It's like, you have to do it, but you got to keep yourself inflated. If I have a balloon and it's inflated, what's going to happen over a few days? It's going to start to deflate. And the same thing as a leader, it's like when you are going through a crisis, you are going to get deflated because the only constant, even without a crisis, is change. And guess what? Every day of a crisis is is almost like a week or a month, and it's just constant chaos. And it's kind of like playing whack-a-mole because there's going to be fire after fire that pops up. And you might get up in the morning and say, yep, this is my plan today. Here's all my one-on-ones. And then something out of the blue just, you know, disrupts it all. And that's just part of it. You have to be adaptable. You have to be flexible. You have to be willing to improvise. And you have to and just kind of be on your toes. And, and that's really one of the keys of getting to the crisis is just embracing that mindset that there is going to be no easy day at all. And you have no idea what's going to happen. But the, one of the key things, too, though, is to take care of your team and be there for them. And I think leading virtually helps you become a better communicator because you have to really write well, but you have to be so intentional to connect with your team and to really listen to them. Because when you're on Zoom, you have to be watching their body language constantly. And you have to really be intuitive to, to realize when people are starting to get burned out because change can break people. It can break a company if there's too much. And during a crisis, especially, it's sometimes you just got to call a team member and say, hey, I need you to stay home for a few days and just take a break. Or, hey, I want you to go out this weekend with your family and have a nice meal in the company because you've been working really hard. And I recognize that. And it's like, just go do this. And it's those little things right there that start to just really build trust and keep people engaged that, hey, the CEO cares. He's listening. He understands what we're going through here, you know, and, and, and also is to get your hands dirty. 
I was never hesitant to just pick up the phone or jump on Zoom and talk to clients because in this particular situation, we had, you know, there's not only the conversations internally, but the clients, you know, they're on the receiving end of our products and services and they could see that there was a lot of change going on. And I'd be as transparent as I could be with them about what was happening. But my thing was to proactively build relationships and try to maintain those uh, those clients because it's way cheaper to keep customers than to go find a new one any day. And so you have to be willing to get your hands dirty and and do that stuff and not delegate everything because um, it, it has a it carries a lot of weight when the CEO calls and, and I'm, I'm not a person I, I don't really I think leadership is more than titles but when you have that next to your name people respect that that you give them their time. I was going to say it also sends a, a powerful message just down to your employees too, that you're leading by example. You're willing to, to jump in and, and help out. And to me, it, it, that sets the standard. It's um, people do what people see and they see that we're willing to do it and they're going to be willing to do it. And I, I you know, and in, 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 in that crisis, I think um, one of the things was just holding myself and that's every day to, to a super high standard. You know, it's like, I will get on zoom and I will have on my camera no matter what, because I said I would do it. And I'm going to connect with this individual. And if somebody needs me, you know, some off hour of the day, they know they can text me. Uh, they can use, you know, text me on my phone. They can use WhatsApp. We use Slack, uh, which was fantastic for just keeping our various functions and teams and the company aligned because it's a, it's a very informal, quick way to just message, you know, a team or an individual or the whole company about you know, something that's going on. And we lived and breathed via, uh, via, via Slack because you can use it on, on your computer, on your on your phone. Was that an internal program or is that? No, it's, it's available. Um, anybody can, can use it. Yeah, any company, lots of companies use it uh, to, uh, for project management or just, you know, um, just working remote. It broke down barriers for us because it's less formal than writing an email and coming up with the title and then, oh, who all should I include on this? And where you could just message, like, I got a message to the onboarding team. He's like, hey, team, how's it going? You know, and give a quick, you know, shout out to somebody who just crushed it with this client or whatever, you know, just did a did an awesome job. And it, it really um, drove engagement as well because folks can comment and things like that. Oftentimes with, with in crisis modes and with disruption and change, the communication piece always is the piece that seems to lag behind. You have employees that are kind of, walking around wondering why is this being done or why is that being done? And oftentimes the, the communication is just not there, but it sounds like you, you've had some pretty good success in, in making sure that the decisions you were making, everyone was pretty much in line, which I have to imagine is hard at a CEO level to make sure that's cascaded all the way down. It is, it is difficult. And, um, it, it took a little while in the beginning to, to really make that happen, but that was my goal was, over-communicate, communicate, communicate, communicate. And so I would communicate via writing, via Slack, via email. You know, I wrote my CEO weekly blogs, uh, had my town halls, did my Zoom meetings. And so, yeah, I really believe it it, it, um, it forces you to become a better communicator because if you don't intentionally over-communicate when you are leading remote, your team is probably not going to perform. At a, at a high level. Yeah, I think that is the absolute crucial. And that, you know, comes with driving change in general is just keep communicating, explaining why, and be willing to, you know, sit down with folks and, and read the room. When you turn on Zoom and you got a, maybe a small team or, you know, even a big team, it's like, read the room, see who's engaged, see who's not, 
and then um, meet with those folks individually. It's amazing how your staff will light up just to get that one-on-one time to so show that you care, that you know that you want to listen. It can be exhausting work, but I think that's just part of leadership. You know, that's the sacrifice you have to make uh, in order to really lead a team effectively. And you mentioned a weekly blog, CEO weekly blog. What did you include in that? Lots of different things. So I, I would, sometimes I would write just about strategy in general and how, you know, it's like where, where I believe the company can go, but teaching different principles around, you know, why it's so important to have a core purpose and core values and, and why we're going to do this SWOT analysis now. You know, and then I'd write about uh, competitors and and different analysis that we had done around like churn potential and stuff, but also just my vision for what the company can be because I think during a crisis and and a leader in general, you have to you have to provide hope to your team, to your staff, to your company. And my goal was to you know it's like always look on you know what's good on the aircraft that is working because you can it's it's easy to walk to a company that's underperforming and just point out all the stuff that's wrong. But you also have to celebrate, well, what's going right here and who is really doing a fantastic job. And so I would I would also include in those blogs just updates on, you know, key staff or maybe a function that's doing a fantastic job, you know, celebrate success in product development um, and, and aligning folks with just anything that was going on in my world. Like I, I have a board meeting coming up and these are the things we're going to be discussing and, and stuff like that. What else, you know, and what else might might I be missing from your function, you know, that, that we should take into consideration or something. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would write different pieces on just trying to inspire hope that that we are going to get through this. But here's the thing, you know, about um, leading through a crisis is you really got to let go of the end game and just stay focused on the process. And so when we had our processes down or one-on-ones or meetings, I always ask the question, well, what should those metrics be that we should be looking at either daily or weekly to make sure that we're aligned as an organization? And so that was really crucial uh, because not only have to, do you have to you know, set the path as a leader, but you have to determine how to measure success. And, and you got to determine you know, what KPI should we be measuring and when. You know, is it daily? Is it weekly? Is it monthly? Is it quarterly? Because ultimately, those are the gauges in the cockpit that help us to, you know, to make the pivots necessary to help to showcase if we're staying on track or not. You have to take all those metrics and be constantly communicating to the board and staying aligned during that crisis mode. Because as I said, it's like the time is it's just such a different situation because every day things are changing so quickly. So a day is literally like a week, if not a month sometimes, because so much can happen. You know, you started out before by saying how running the company virtually almost forced you to be a better communicator. And I wonder if we do take it for granted, those of us and executives who are working in a home office environment, that the environment itself, we take that for granted, and we're probably not as good as communicating as we should be. And I think it's the hallway discussions or the water cooler discussions where you do fall into a false sense of of thinking that, well, I've had some of these discussions, everyone else knows about it, and that you don't have to over-communicate, right? Because you're thinking that everyone else knows it, but that's not really the reality. Exactly. And and, and that was hard for me. So I had an office manager, and she was she would serve as my eyes and ears um, in the office uh, daily. And I would catch up with her and just ask her, just how, how are things going? What's What's the vibe there today? You know, uh, what's the energy level? What's going on? What's 
what's the scuttlebutt or the water cooler talk that I'm missing, you know? And she'd keep me informed. And it, it was very helpful because then I kind of knew what was going on behind the scenes with, you know, who might have had a, you know, a bad morning getting to work or somebody was sick or whatever. And so, but as we continue to to adopt the the principles and, and processes of working remote, well, for me, the team became much more adept to communicating as well, just like where they were and what they were doing. And I was always proactive and, you know, it's like using your calendar is absolutely crucial, but I would use Slack just to let the team know, just be like, hey, team, I'm going to be away for a few hours or I, I got a meeting with the board, you know, or it's like, hey, I'm, I'm taking a break this afternoon. I'm not going to be available. I'll be back at these times or whatever. And it's just clarifying those expectations. Expectations shape performance, and it is so crucial to clarify expectations when you are leading a team remotely, because you can't see everybody every day. All right, we're almost out of time, and I do have one more question for you. As I mentioned earlier, that that as you're leading this company through a crisis, you yourself were hit with a personal crisis. I was, I was, and so not only did I um, I serve this company to, to help turn it around last year, completed multiple. Olympic distance triathlons, climbed a lot of mountains, traveled a lot, but I did it all with the inability to eat food. On Christmas of 2018, I was diagnosed with a rare disease called esophageal achalasia, which ultimately led to aspiration pneumonia. And I checked myself into the hospital and it was a good thing I did because doctors told me within 48 hours, I would have been dead without medical intervention. And so this rare disease, what it does is it prevents peristalsis in the esophagus so that my muscles and neurons no longer worked. And it also created a severe stricture. Think about a garden hose trying to drain, drain into a cocktail straw. The lower part of my esophagus was tightened up, and basically it, 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 food was not able to pass through my stomach, and my esophagus became completely impacted, and fluids were draining into my lungs and killing me. Now, I noticed for about a year I had trouble swallowing, and I couldn't sleep in a bed. I, every time I laid down, I would just cough and choke. Well, I got to the hospital and spent a week there and eventually recovered from aspiration pneumonia within a month. And uh, I went home from the hospital. They did a procedure to clean out my esophagus and I, I was put on a liquid diet of like boost and ensure for 10 days. And so I was thinking, okay, well, 10 days, I can do that. And um, I go back for a checkup and well, that turned into another three months because I had to go through multiple procedures and I scheduled a surgery. Uh, and then a few days before surgery, my insurance company pulled the plug on covering the procedure because it was so rare and so novel. And so I entered an appeals process and that lasted another six months, went through multiple rounds of appeals, which was a whole battle outside of turning around an organization. Meanwhile, I slept in a chair for an entire year because I couldn't lay down and I drank my every meal through a cup. I, um, I am a juice smoothie making expert. Uh, but my, um, <laughs> and my protein and I, and, uh, kind of a protein shake connoisseur. And so that was something that, um, you know, was not a, I didn't anticipate that. It's like, everybody has a plan in life until, uh, you know, they get punched in the face and I got punched in the throat, but I learned so much because my mantra was, you know, it's just deal with it. It's, um, you know, hold on to your character. It's like, I can't control the, the outcome of the situation, but I can't control my attitude. I can control my focus. You know, control my discipline, my faith. And those are things too during a crisis as leaders, like we can control our attitude. Morale stems from the top. And so keep a good attitude in order to keep your team, you know, operating as they should. Uh, that's just an incredible story. I mean, just to clarify, you weren't able to eat anything solid for 
a year. Exactly. Yep. So I, I did not eat any solid food for an entire year. Finally got the surgery approved. Unfortunately, my esophagus, um, uh, the problem I had was, was pretty severe and it took four procedures. Uh, I ended up having to fast on apple juice and Pedialyte for 40 days in order to get through the procedures. And I had my first meal on Christmas day of 2019. I had scrambled eggs with my family and it was the best scrambled eggs of my life. So I endured an entire year of, of living life from a cup. That's incredible. So that was a, that was a true crucible of life. Yeah, it, it sure sounds like it. While all along trying to turn this company around, which is, uh, again, truly an inspirational story. Thanks, Rob. I think my mantra was, if I can focus on serving others, it'll help me to not fall into this pity party about, oh, why this happened to me, which I never did anyways. But I think as leaders, our job is to serve. And so my goal is like, I'm going to focus on, you know, like, here's a here's an interesting problem, you know, trying to help this company, trying to help the grow these staff. And I just poured myself into it. But it also kept me out of the kitchen because I was so consumed with helping this company that it kept my mind off the fact that I couldn't eat food. And so I pretty much lived in my office because sitting around the dinner table is, is not a lot of fun when you're starving. And my family understood. They got it. Uh, it was just a different life, different world. But it, it got me through it. And I learned a lot and uh, I'm actually thankful for the experience and I do get to eat now, uh, which is a blessing. It's amazing. But yeah, turning around a company with the inability to eat food was the ultimate challenge. And so that's one of the reasons why I had to lead the company remote from the U S uh, because I was invited to go to New Zealand. I ended up spending a month there, but going overseas and traveling and trying to, to live on smoothies is less than ideal. And that was the hardest month of my life because I just couldn't get the proper nutrition. It's just not the same as being at your house and, and having a blender and be able to, you know, make what you got to make. So that was, a, that was a real challenge, but it was a, a, again, it was, it was a test of leadership. You know, the hardest person to lead is ourselves. And my goal is like, I'm going to lead myself through this. And so I, I really learned so much about patience and persistence and resilience and discipline and really letting go in the end game and focus on the process. That was my personal mantra because I had to, I just had to get through each and every day and control um, the few things that I could control and eventually got there. Well, and unfortunately we're, we're out of time, but for my listeners, you can probably tell now why, why I invited Jeff to come on. Cause you can see the leadership skills he possesses and particularly on his ability to, to lead through his personal crisis as well as a true test of character and leadership skills, and it's a great inspirational story. And I have no doubt that my listeners also, Jeff, learned a tremendous amount just from your techniques and listening to you talk about how you approach turning that company around. Thanks again for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening in today. If you're enjoying the podcast, then click the subscribe button, leave a review, and I'll talk to you soon on the next episode of the Leadership Jam Session Podcast. Thank you.